I mean, it's kind of an experiment, right? And the experiment is enabled by NFT technology. But the question that we're answering is what happens when the power to allocate goods and resources and build communities is not in the hands of the government, is not in the hands of a few wealthy gatekeepers or financial processors or the social media giants of the world, but rather the change makers themselves. Hello, thanks for joining. This is Proof of Change brought to you by ChangeDAO. This is a space to elevate the stories of changemakers using NFTs as a force for change. My name is Drew Simon. Let me introduce you to today's guest, Kelsey Driscoll. Kelsey is ChangeDAO's GM, an NFT activist, an outspoken feminist, policy nerd, and a social impact strategist. Kelsey is truly a wealth of knowledge when it comes to all things social impact and Web3. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming Kelsey to the Proof of Change podcast. Okay, Kelsey, thank you for joining on Proof of Change. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. My pleasure. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you. So the first episode we had, David, gave kind of a higher level overview of ChangeDAO. We talked a lot about kind of the, just the philosophy and ethos behind it. Brian uh, came on for the last episode. We dive more into NFT giving uh, and the social impact side of it. And I see you kind of as almost bridging the gap between the two in a sense. Um, as the GM, you know, you're, you're very involved in the operational side of things and kind of developing that that culture at ChangeDAO, but also very much in guiding the social impact strategy. So I'm excited to to have that conversation with you today. And before we dive into that, really excited to dig in your background a bit. So you're pretty well known in the Web3 impact community. Uh, so not only are you the GM of ChangeDAO, but you're also an NFT activist, uh, outspoken feminist, a policy nerd, and a social impact strategist. Um, so you've worked with a number of nonprofit organizations and also supported and advised a number of social impact Web3 projects. So tell me about your journey. Sure. So we can start from the beginning if you want. Uh, in Southern rural New Jersey. Um, went to university at University of Maryland, right out College Park, right outside of DC. After I graduated, lived in South America for a year teaching English, came back, and then my career really started, I think, um, with Accenture. Uh, and I was a management consultant there for mm -hmm. a few years. And I worked with public sector clients, NGOs, you know, the Department of Defense, Department of State, um, World Bank, et cetera. Uh, and then I realized that that is that I am really passionate about social impact, but not necessarily in that environment. And so I went and decided to deep dive into public policy, which is kind of the design element of mm. social impact at a collective level. Um, and so I got my master's in public policy during that time. I was, you know, freely at strategy consulting, contracting. Mm -hmm. Um, I was on the Hill advising clients, um, on how to navigate the policy space. Um, and then I was also working with some membership organizations and other nonprofit local and regional organizations, um, and advising them how to navigate the policy space as well, um, and kind of maximize and optimize their impact. Uh, and then, so after I got my master's, I decided that I wanted to leave DC. I had been there for about a decade, uh, moved to Austin, Texas, started at Upring Innovation Labs, um, which I credit for my, my entrance into the Web3 space, actually. Mm -hmm. 
that's um, not the norm. People usually yeah. don't come into the Web3 space from the nonprofit perspective. It's usually through DeFi or, mm-hmm. or you know, finance, something like that. Um, or even if it's NFTs, it's through like art. It's not through like yeah. passive beneficiaries of those funds. But uh, Upbring Innovation Labs is actually dedicated to breaking the cycle of child abuse. And, and my role there is to bring new technologies and ways of thinking to the lasting problems that Web 1 and Web 2 have not solved in child welfare. And so I started looking into NFTs in 2021, like a lot of people, I guess end of 2020, beginning of 2021, um, Mm -hmm. and started just exploring the social impact space. And that was at a time when you could pretty much slide into anyone's DMs and be like, hey, I want to learn about this. Tell me. Um, and these like multi-million dollar selling NFT artists would be like, sure, let me connect you to whoever. Um, <laughs> and so I kind of started doing that, right? Just throwing myself out there and 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 meeting people. And that's how I got connected to ChangeDown and a few of the other projects that I've been a part of. And some uh, real thought leaders in the space uh, mm-hmm. around the tech side, but also around the community organizing side. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started learning about DAOs as an organizational model or operational model. Um, and then really settled in to change DAO, bringing the social impact perspective um, and joining the core team in October of 21. And then mm-hmm. since then, my involvement has grown significantly. Um, now I'm the GM before I was, I think I started as like change maker lead or something. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit of my journey into Web3. I really kind of went into um, the entire ecosystem as very much a doubter of like, oh, cool. It's another way to hide money or bezel money or (laughs) something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Working in the nonprofit space, there are lots of interesting financial instruments that people use uh, to hold money, to hold tax, you know, to um, avoid taxes, to move money around, what have you. And it kind of at first just seemed like that to me until I started digging Mm -hmm. a little bit deeper into the ethos and the culture and, and really the founding elements of cryptocurrency and Web3. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it sparked my interest and, um, what really got me jazzed about it and what made me jump into change doubt is this concept of the divorce, uh, or the separation of, um, political and monetary systems and what that means for nonprofits, what that means for individuals, what that means for artists and what that means largely for people who have been left out of traditional institutions and markets, which, mm-hmm. you know, with the state of inequality today is, is a large chunk of the world population. Yeah. So um, that's kind of how I got introduced to the space. I proved myself wrong coming in with those assumptions and ended up, you know, jumping down the rabbit hole. And here I am. Almost that's here. really cool. Well, it's quite a unique <laughs> journey. And I think you're right that not a lot of people are like introduced to the space through a nonprofit. Uh, like, you know, it's usually the other way around, right? Um, those that are more native to Web3 then try to onboard nonprofits into this space. Um, but so so you've been in the kind of involved in Web3 for what, like one and a half years, two years? About two roughly? years at this point, yeah. And how long does it feel like you've been involved? <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Four seconds and 40 years yeah. all at once. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Emerging markets are interesting and emerging markets mm-hmm. that don't have a close, right? The stock market closes every yeah. day. The NFT market does not. The cryptocurrency market does not. So, mm-hmm. um, 
Yeah, it, it, the ebbs and flows of this market and the volatility of this market, as I said, can all of a sudden feel like, oh my gosh, I've been here forever, or I've been here for four seconds and I know nothing at any mm -hmm. given point. <laughs> I don't know if that answers your question, but that's that's how it feels. Oh, it it's just wild, right? It's wild. Like yeah. I can go from personally thinking like, oh, you know, you know, I'm an expert in this space. I know a lot, but then be like, wait, wait a second, no, I don't. Nobody really knows a lot in this space, and it's so new. And you know, it's just, it's just, you're right. It's, it's crazy. It's such a wild new space and everyone's just kind of figuring out as they go. And it definitely feels like, you know, every year feels like 10. So yeah. Um, so I uh, changed out. Let's talk about that. Um, so I would love to learn from you what it means to be a change maker. We, we talk a lot about a uh, change, obviously about, you know, creating that, that platform from change makers to enact their movements of change. And so what does it mean to be a change maker and what is it inside of you that drives you to make change? Yeah, I think that we all have our own definition for change maker, but mm -hmm. for me, you know, change makers are actually radically hopeful human beings um, who really refuse to accept the pain and strife of the status quo. And they embrace a belief that things can be different, that things can be better, and then actively work to manifest that change, whether it be in policy, circumstance, market condition, you know, local, community, regional, national, international. So, yeah, I mean, I think what drives me is, you know, kind of what I mentioned, like traditional markets and institutions are not working for mm -hmm. most people. We know that mm -hmm. data tells us that and has told us that inequality is worse today than it has been in a very long time. Mm -hmm. um, particularly in the United States, right? Which is kind of the perspective I come from, but globally as well, um, mm -hmm. you know, kind of across the board. And so, um, you know, that, that drives me, right? There has mm. to be another way. I work in child welfare. I have been active in the feminist movement for a very long time. Um, coming from those classes, um, it is, you know, we need change and we're not empowered and we don't have equal rights literally anywhere. Once again, mm -hmm. data shows us that. Um, and so refusing to accept that as that's just how things are and rather no, accepting rather that pain is temporary yeah. and belief that things can be better and a commitment to working until that vision is realized is what I really, that, that's how I see a change maker. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. And I think that, you know, you touched on a couple of things there that really stood out to me and, and looking at you know, the inequalities and inequities that exist. One thing I was really worried about when I first got into this space was, you know, is Web3 or cryptocurrency blockchain just going to be another driver of inequality, right? Is it going to be something that further only benefits those that are wealthy and not those that really need uh, need the support and help to help bridge that gap? Um, but I think, you know, as I dug in more, I started to realize that, you know, and see all the people that are using it for good, that, you know, there's something different going on here. And hopefully... I am really hopeful and do truly believe that, you know, Web3 can be that thing that can help really, you know, make that change that, that needs to happen. Um, so one example that I would love for you to touch on in, in terms of uh, change making. So I understand that you put together a safe space framework uh, for ChangeDAO um, that's now being implemented by other Web3 communities as well. So um, that's that's one example of you enacting change within Web3. So tell me more about that. Sure. So, um I'll just show a little bit of my like personal stories. Like I'm a survivor of domestic and workplace violence, uh, sexual violence. And, and I'm 
neurodivergent, I'm immunocompromised. These are things, these are realities that I, I live with. Right. Um, and so the liberty that others were taking, primarily men, um, when I would meet them in real life in these communities, a lot of the times, um, would throw me into fight or flight when you have PTSD or if you're a survivor of trauma in any, in any capacity, right? Um, when you feel unsafe, your central nervous system reacts to that feeling of not having safety, mm -hmm. um, which clouds your ability and inhibits your ability to participate fully in whatever you're doing, right? Because then your brain power is focused on re-regulating. Mm -hmm. How do I get back down to baseline instead of freaking out, right? Yeah. Um, and so... I was going to conferences and I was feeling this, uh, being the only woman in the room. Um, and so I created a framework as a response to those situations mm -hmm. um, that I repeat, I repeatedly experienced, whether it was at NFT NYC, Consensus, South by whatever, mm -hmm. a meetup. Um, I was continuously experiencing this by different people and corroborating with other people um, and their experience, experiences, I was hearing that feedback as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so I created this framework as a, as a guiding principle. <laughs> and I actually got the idea from Burning Man and their, their 10 principles. Mm -hmm. um, and basically what it says is these are the expectations of participation. And if you break these expectations in our community, um, then you are not welcome in our community. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, as I said, I went, I went to all of these events. I was having these negative experiences. Did I think they meant it? Do I think the men that were perpetrating these experiences, whether it be touching my body without consent, um, speaking in homophobic or sexist language, et cetera, et cetera, did they meet it? To keep my faith in our community, I hope not. I have to believe they didn't, right? But that there, there was a disconnect in um, how we were and in the expectations and boundaries of how we were supposed to communicate with each other and interact with each other. And so, um, you know, sharing my light in this instance was saying, hey, I'm uncomfortable in this space, but I believe in this space enough mm -hmm. to believe that it can be better, that it can be yeah. different. And I'm going to create this framework as a guiding principle in hopes that it can be followed and so that it can enhance our culture collectively um, to make people like me feel more welcome, more included, and to be able to really optimize their participation and not spend a lot of time re-regulating their central nervous system when it is agitated by people who may not ever have the intention of doing that. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of the thinking behind that and, and how I see change making, right? Like change making in this instance was let's put out some information, educational information on what safety means mm -hmm. and what trauma means and how, how you can establish boundary, healthfully establish, um, boundaries and expectations of participants in any given space. Wow. Well, well thank you so much for sharing that. I appreciate you, you sharing that and sharing kind of the, the story behind that. And I think it's such an important important piece of the puzzle and you know someone coming from a, a place of privilege obviously and i myself um you know haven't experienced that uh, i think it's so important for you know individuals to to come into this space and to make sure that you know we're really making it as as inclusive and supportive of everyone because you know i i know that like 
I like to think that, oh, it's such an inclusive and collaborative space, but I don't know, right? I haven't experienced it firsthand. I haven't lived it. Um, and so I know that, um, you know, I can think and, and wear my rose-colored glasses and say, oh, you know, Web3 so inclusive and amazing. But in reality, there's a lot of challenges, right? And and I think it's, you know, I've seen so many amazing uh, leaders coming into the space and really bringing themselves into it and saying, no, we can do better and, and not being afraid to, you know, to, to call out uh, injustices that are in the space and to to do what they can to, to build a better space. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you for all you're doing. I think it's, it's so important and I'm very thankful for that. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, so moving on now to change to and, and social impact. Um, that's obviously a big part of what you're doing. Um, a lot of people think of social impact and they think of it as like a helping a nonprofit, whether it's like volunteering or, you know, making a donation or something like that. Right. But obviously there's much more to it than that. And I think that something you've done within ChangeDAO has really helped the team understand that and understand the different layers and, and pieces and participants that are involved in social impact. You know, it's not just nonprofits making that change, uh, but also there's social impact DAOs, there's devs, storytellers, individuals, artists, movements, so many different layers to social impact. So can you give us an overview of what you mean by Web3 social impact? Sure. So... <laughs> To do that, I think I'm going to break my answer up in two, right? Like, let's yeah. define Web3 and let's define social impact. Sure, yeah, for sure. Um, I actually want to start with social impact. So, as you said, I think people often conflate social impact with nonprofit, with donations, with charity. Um, those are all distinct terms. Social impact is really this catch-all term. You know, it's not... Social impact can be bad, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> social impact is, you know, every action has an equal and opposite reaction, this applies to policy, war, donations, direct service organizations, what have you. And so social impact is just simply the effects of an action on a society, Yeah. whether that be a donation to a nonprofit or, you know, dedicating time to supporting a political campaign. Like mm-hmm. both of those have social impacts. Yeah. What also has a social impact? Not participating at all. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. All of those things have so have impact on our society at large. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, while we conflate those terms, we also conflate the term social impact with good. And good and bad are completely relative depending on your vantage point. Mm-hmm. You know, good for someone living in Belarus is not necessarily good for someone living in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Somewhat good in the United States does not mean good in Latin America. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can talk about that across sectors, individuals, organizations, communities, et cetera. And so if we think of social impact as just simply the what how an action affects a large group of people. And if we think of Web3 as, um, you know, the way that I like to define Web3 is if we consider Web1 read like websites and Web2 as read and write like social media, then Web3 would be read, write, and own. And so what we're talking about when we're talking about Web3 social impact is how that element of ownership in the greater economic shift um, affects society at large. Mm -hmm. And so in other words, how Web3, so blockchain, cryptocurrency, NFTs, smart contracts, all of the tech that enables that ownership element um, and at a higher level, the decoupling, as I mentioned before, the decoupling of the political and monetary systems, how that affects our society on individual and collective levels. Yeah. Cool. Wow. So that's how I would define it. 
Yeah, I like that. <laughs> no, and I, I like the way that you kind of, you know, because I think that a lot of people, and I get stuck in this myself, think of social impact as only like, you know, it's, it's good, right? It's a, uh, yeah, social impact is like positive, doing good in the world. Um, but A, there's different perspectives on what good is. And B, you can have a social impact that is negative as well. Um, so I appreciate you. And it, can simul- and it can simultaneously be negative and positive, right? Yeah. The social impact of an action on one group of people may be very positive, but mm-hmm. at the same exact time be very negative for another group of stakeholders. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think if we take the value judgment out of the word social impact mm-hmm. um, and really look at it uh what change are we trying to make and how Mm -hmm. are we doing that and who is affected by that change? That's what I mean when we talk about social impact within the Mm -hmm. concepts of Web3. Now, before we move on to the next question, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor for this episode, NFT Go. NFT Go is an all-in-one NFT analytics platform that includes NFT alpha by ranking, rarity, whale tracking, drops calendar, and more. They're a huge supporter of ChangeDAO, so make sure to check them out at nftgo.io. Okay, so we've taken a bit of a a macro view of Web3 and social impact, and I want to narrow in a bit here and look at NFT specifically um, and NFT giving and what NFTs bring to the space. So um, how are NFTs changing social impact and what do they bring to the table that didn't exist before? What NFTs allow us to do through smart contract design is change the flow of goods and resources by giving the power of allocation to different individuals. So in short, we often call that cutting out the middleman. Um, So when an artist wants to donate proceeds from their work, which is a behavior that we've seen throughout the Web3 space, particularly over the last year, we've seen it explode. Um, But right now they only have a few options. One, the artist can sell a piece. They can convert their sale to fiat and they can donate that fiat to the nonprofit. Um, But there are lots of steps in that. So they have to create the NFT, the sales and the profit have to hit their wallet, then they have to report that income, then they have to donate, then they have to rate for a receipt from the nonprofit. Um, And in all of those steps, there's fees, there's processing fees for converting, there's processing, there's gas fees, if it's on, you know, depending on what blockchain it's on. Um, And then the other way that they're donating is using kind of third party financial services providers, whether that be a pass-through mechanism or um, a payment processor, kind of like a clearinghouse. So what happens then would an artist would sell a piece, they donate crypto from their wallet. So that's great because the, the artist can just send crypto, but the crypto then goes to a financial services organization. That financial services organization, which is a third-party provider, then converts that crypto into fiat and then sends fiat to the nonprofit. And in that Um, the artist is not seeing what the financial services provider is doing and the nonprofit is not seeing what the artist is doing. Um, And the the financial service provider is taking their cut for that processing all along, all along that that process flow. And so with ChangeDAO, we've looked at NFT giving a little bit differently. Um, The way that works for us, the way that we define it is that a non- Profit organization sets up their own wallet. They have their own wallet address that they have custody over. Um, and they insert their wallet address into an, a smart contract um, by a change maker who's curated our platform. So a change maker has their own smart contract. They add the nonprofit ETH address into that contract. Um, and then when the NFT sells, they receive crypto to their wallet. The nonprofit receives crypto to their wallet to do with what they please. 
It's not going through a third party financial services provider. Um, it's not burdening the artist with doing all of the conversion. Um, but rather it's bringing in the nonprofit as an active participant in, in the entire process. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I like that. That's really cool. And that aligns a lot with what I spoke with Brian about actually in the last episode of some of those kind of pain points that, you know, artists face when they're looking to use their NFTs um, for good and, and to contribute to some sort of cause. Um, so from a nonprofit perspective, tell me a little bit about kind of the win-win behind this. Why is this a better solution for nonprofits? I mean, it's kind of an experiment, right? Mm-hmm. And the experiment is enabled by NFT technology. But the question that we're answering is what happens when the power to allocate goods and resources in this example for change DAO, it's capital and art. Um, what happens when the power to allocate those goods and resources and build communities is not in the hands of the government, mm-hmm. is not in the hands of a few wealthy gatekeepers or financial processors um, or the social media giants of the world, but rather the change makers themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that 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 is really the paradigm shift that is most beneficial to all stakeholders involved, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because we're allocating resources differently, we're allocating power differently, um, and you know, down the line and at scale, what is that going to translate to? Hopefully, more equitable markets, institutions, and communities. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um... Love that. And I'm sure you'll resonate with this because on the flip side, you know, I know I work, I work with a lot of nonprofits as, as you do the traditional nonprofit sector. There's a lot of hesitancy, obviously, to engage with a decentralized technology with Web3. Um, not only are there, the, there the, the stigmas that, oh, it's only used for criminal purposes or it's destroying the environment or you know, it's all big Ponzi scheme. We, we've all heard those, right? Um, but there's also just that, that fear of having that level of control or power. Um, that fear of, oh, if I type the wrong you know, digit in the, um, you know, in the wallet address, uh, that it could just go into the universe and disappear forever. And there's no way that I could reverse that. Like I could, if I just called it my bank. Right. So there's a lot of fear that exists. Um, so what do you think about that? What, what are your thoughts on that? Risk management is mm-hmm. a nonprofit's main concern and in an emergency, an emerging, not yet fully regulated market, risks are abundant. Mm -hmm. So I think in the short term, we see a lot of non, we are seeing, and we will see a lot of nonprofits hesitant to adopt decentralized solutions due to that risk profile, due to the fact that you could click a discord link and have all of your funds from your wallet drained. Do you know, like all, all of those things are still existing because we're in an emerging new market and the cement has not dried and the regulations have not been put in place. Mm -hmm. Um, However, in the long term. I would make the argument that it's beneficial for nonprofits to be first moving early adopters in order to help integrate the needs of the vulnerable communities they serve into the fabric of Web3. If this is a new economy, nonprofits should have a voice in that economy. Um, And so when you're, you know, as a nonprofit professional, when you're looking at strengths, weaknesses, how do we get into that? What questions do we need to ask? How do we Mm -hmm. even evaluate if this is going to be beneficial for us now? or in the long term. Um, First, uh, do you have the knowledge base to participate safely? Mm -hmm. And do you want to be the custodian of your own funds? Or do you want to pay a third party to do so? And then in terms of long term adoption, is it worth the investment in upskilling now 
to be able to evolve with a rapidly changing donor and economic landscape. So we can talk about all of these risk profiles, but we also need to talk about how traditional institutions are not sustainable in currently and how they fund themselves. And so if this new economy is coming out where you have a donor class that is traditionally not captured, um, can you afford not to be involved? Can you afford, can you afford not to have the knowledge base to be able to act uh, and participate safely and in an informed way. I would argue uh, you can't. You know, most nonprofits right now, at least in the United States, your average donor age is between 60 and 70 years old. Mm-hmm. The average crypto donor is under 35. So can your organization sustain without participating in Web3? I don't think so in the long mm-hmm. term. And I think that that's some Now, do you need to participate fully right now? Well, those are the risk profiles or risk questions that you have to ask yourself. Do you have a knowledge base? Do you need to outsource it right now? Do you need to hire new people um, for you to be able to safely traverse this new frontier? Yeah, for sure. That's great. And I appreciate all that advice. I think that's so valuable to nonprofits that are looking to break into the space. And if I were to sum it up, and my apologies for being cliche here, with great power comes great responsibility, but also great opportunity. All right. So there is a certain level of power that it gives nonprofits. Uh, there's responsibility that comes with that. Um, with that responsibility, there's risks that need to be managed. But with that, there's also incredible opportunity uh, to connect with a new generation and demographic of donors, uh, to figure out new use cases for this technology, to improve the way that your nonprofit delivers its services, supports the communities that you support. Uh, so some really incredible opportunities as well. Yeah, and just to add to that also, I, I think it's worth mentioning, like, you know, being early adopters, again, being early movers, like, yes, all of that is true about risk Mm. and reward and opportunity. Um, But also, what if, you know, let's imagine together, what if nonprofits had a greater role in drafting the constitution, Mm -hmm. in building our economy, in building our policy, in participating in how goods and resources are allocated in our traditional markets. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Web3 is actually that opportunity because the cement isn't dry yet. So there is a space for nonprofits. Um, and I think their voice is vital in shaping an equitable marketplace. Mm-hmm. That's great. I love that. And that's that's a future certainly worth building for, I think. And, and a, that's an amazing future to think about as well and how this technology can enable that that opportunity and ownership by groups that previously haven't had that opportunity. So thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. So talking now about ChangeDAO, I want to shift back to ChangeDAO and their approach to being a DAO. So I spoke with David a bit about this in the first episode and this idea of, of cooperatives and tying that into it as well. And I know that you two have been talking a lot about that. Um, cooperatives, I like to think of almost in a sense, the OG DAOs without the A, you know, maybe decentralized organizations in a sense that are governed by their members. Um, I've always been fascinated with co-ops personally. Um, So tell me a bit more about why that approach makes sense in terms of the approach that change DAOs like looking to take as a DAO and and where you're at in terms of the process. Yeah. um, So co-op traditionally that is a traditional operational model actually it's been around for a minute mm-hmm. um and it shares profit with member owners and really prioritizes community over profit mm-hmm. 
honestly, if you add on the blockchain, you've just described a DAO. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> if you just add like a Web3 layer over top of that, yeah. you've described a DAO. Yeah. Um, and so, I don't know. I think we're seeing a lot of people in the space recreate representative democracy mm-hmm. and then being surprised when no one participates. You know, welcome to electoral politics. We've yeah. seen that for a very long time. Um, and yeah, so all that today, I, I think it's important to take lessons learned and best practices from other realms of traditional organizational development and community organizing. Mm-hmm. And then taking those lessons learned and optimizing them with Web3 tools and technology. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, Web3 is just another layer of tech. Um, what matters is how you use that tech. Yeah. And so we are looking, and we're still in the exploratory phase of what it could look like and what that design could deliver to our various stakeholder classes, mm-hmm. be it change makers, contributors, founding team, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. And so I think... Um, as I said, I think like we're in the exploratory phase right now. We've taken an approach of progressive decentralization over time. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, we want to exit to the community, but there are many ways that you can exit to the community. It doesn't always have to be an ERC-20 token. Yeah. Um, it doesn't always have to be a DeFi answer. That is one Web3 tool and tech that could apply, mm-hmm. but it's not the only one. And I think um, what we're trying to do is look outside of... Um, these strict paradigms that we've seen emerge over the last year or so of what a DAO is and what Mm -hmm. a DAO isn't and rather what should a DAO be and how should it work? And there are definitely lessons to be learned from co-ops, from electoral political organizing, from activist organizing Mm -hmm. um, and from private sector organizing. Um, And I think that we're trying to take the best practices and lessons learned from a variety mm-hmm. of different sectors um, to build a genuinely innovative model to achieve the goals of our DAO mm-hmm. um, and the goals of our of our group of people, um, of our community that we've put together, mm-hmm. um, which is to redistribute the power to allocate goods and resources. Absolutely. I love that. And you know, it's funny because uh, co-ops have been a part of my life, you know, forever, right? I've whether it's shopping at a co-op grocery store or, you know, I bank with a credit union, for example, right? Or, you know, there's just so many different ways that, you know, folks interact with. Uh, or co-op co-ops. apartment buildings, yeah. right? We've seen it apply to a bunch of different types yeah, of models. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, at first I was like, co-ops and, and, and you know, Web3, I'm not really seeing, or DAOs, I'm not really seeing the overlap. But the more and more I thought about what a co-op is, I was like, no, a co-op is a decentralized organization minus that automation piece that, you know, the autonomous, that's the A in the, in the word, right? And so bringing blockchain into that, then bringing smart contracts into that, you know, you have a DAO. And I think you're, you're spot on with that. So the more I thought about it, the more it made sense. And I'm really excited to kind of see how things go with, with this exciting journey, because I think, um, you know, not only is it a great model, I think, for ChangeDAO, but I also think it could be a great model for a lot of other Web3 organizations um, that are kind of looking to set up their governance models for the future. Um, a lot of Web3 social impact movements start with kind of creating the impacts and then look at the governance after, right? And then shift to the governance. And a lot of them are in that phase right now about how do we sustain this for the long term? How do we exit to the community? So I think that um, this could be a really cool experiment to show to the world that this is a model that could work and that there's a lot of benefits too. And that, 
you know, this is a tried, tested and true system that's been around for centuries. Um, so yeah, that's awesome. So let's talk about your role. So you're the GM and, you know, there's a bit of uh, funniness to that. Obviously, GM is a very uh, common uh, thing that's said <laughs> in, the, in the NFT space. Uh, uh, yeah. And so it's kind of like a COO, I guess, if you were in a traditional business. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. You can say it's like a CEO. Yeah, okay. So yeah. yeah, you're really involved in like a lot of leadership across the board um, when it comes to change now. Um, so I'd love to hear, because you've been in a lot of different roles. You've worked on the Hill. You've worked um, in Latin America, South America. You've um, worked in the traditional nonprofit sector. You've worked uh, for Accenture, like you said. So you, you've worn many different hats. We'd love to hear some of the challenges that you've uh, that you faced that you're working through and also why you decided at this point, you know, creating a new system out of thin air is something that's interesting to you at this stage in your career. Yeah. Um, so bringing in my personal story, mm-hmm. I feel like I've I've gone through positions in different sectors mm-hmm. because I um, always had this idea that I wanted to be really impactful with mm-hmm. my career, with the, with the professional work I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in these traditional models, um, you know, whether it be the traditional corporate model, the traditional bureaucratic government type model or whatever it may be, I I got to a point or a threshold where I was like, I don't feel like I'm making the change that I want to make. And Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I'm making the impact that I want to make. And at those points, I pivoted, right? Like Mm -hmm. at at those points, I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to grad school or okay, I'm going to move or okay, I'm going to like switch sector or what have you. And so I think finding Web3 for me was most interesting because the cement isn't dry yet. Yeah. Most of the traditional markets and institutions that I have been involved in were not built for me. Mm-hmm. We're not built for women. We're not built for people who are neurodivergent. We're not be- built for, you know, insert whatever demographic information you want. Yeah. Um, and so Web3 was so attractive and building something out of thin air was so attractive to me at this point in my career. Um, because I feel like um, it's a new frontier. The cement isn't dry yet and we can build it and I can have a role and impact in building it to address the shortcomings of all of the other sectors, organiza- types of organizations, et cetera, that I've worked in before. Mm. So how do you use all of that pain and strife and frustration and mm-hmm. what have you, you know, I've, I've been a person that has had to sign an NDA and not talk about the sexual abuse I went through. Mm-hmm. I've been a person that has been denied opportunity because I am a woman. Um, you know, how do you build in the safeguards into a new economy, into a new system mm-hmm. um, so that we don't just repeat the inequality that we've experienced? Yeah. And so at this point in my career, when I've reached the thresholds in each of those, um, it's really fun. And don't get me wrong, it's super challenging, but it's really fun to be able to build, use all of those lessons, use all of those experiences Mm -hmm. and transform that trauma and that hardship into something beautiful and inclusive and, um, you know, making the change and the impact in the world. Um, that I didn't have the privilege yeah. of experiencing. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you again for sharing for sharing all that. That's that's amazing, and I think that's so you know inspiring to think about the possibility to build something new that works for everyone here, which is amazing. And we need more people like you in Web three. We we really do. And 
you know, it's been a, a privilege uh, to work with you. And so I guess the question I have for you is, you know, there's a lot of folks that are maybe sitting on the sidelines that are a little curious about Web3. Maybe they're listening in right now and maybe they're working in whatever sector. It could be you know, social impact. It could be policy making. It could be uh, financial, legal, whatever it is. And they look at Web3 and they think I can't succeed because, you know, I'm not a coder. I don't know how the, you know, the algorithm behind the blockchain works. I don't know this X, Y, or Z. It can be very intimidating, right? Of a space. Mm-hmm. And I know what you're doing is really looking to make it more accessible. Um, but what advice would you have for those folks that are maybe interested, but are hesitant to make that jump? Yeah, I. that's a great question. I think, first of all, education. Um, I didn't set up my first wallet and, until like six to eight months after I started researching Web3 and NFTs. There are some that can jump in. Maybe you have capital that you can lose um, in experimentation. Not everyone has capital that they can lose in experimentation. So I think a first step is research. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of research a cool thing about Web3 is it's open source. Mm-hmm. So lots of people just share their roadmap, share their strategies, share their code, share all of these things yeah. as educational resources that you can access. Mm-hmm. So one, two, honestly, just talking to people in the space who are doing cool things, reaching out to them directly. Mm-hmm. As I told you, like when I jumped in, it was, you know, I, I just started reaching out to random people on Twitter and Discord being like, this is what I do. Mm-hmm. And this is what I want to learn. Do you have any advice? Can you direct me in the right, you know, in the right direction, Uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think, you know, taking the ownership upon yourself to just dive into a new subject matter in whatever way that you learn best. Mm -hmm. Great. That's the first step. Um, But a second step is, you know, if if it's social impact that you want to have, you know, diving deep into social impact DAOs, diving deep yeah. into specific organizations that you're jazzed about. You may not buy the NFT, but you can join the Discord. Yeah. You can join the newsletter. You might not list anything on the marketplace, but you can understand how it functions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is a new economy and every economy needs all types, mm-hmm. right? So like even web two tech, right? It's not just coders. You need HR people, you need recruiters, you need program managers, you need product managers, you need, you know, you need cybersecurity. Um, It's like any other organization. It's just the fact that we're overlaying a different type of technology on top of it. Um, And so the way that you would get into any sector, you would get into Web3. It's just the most intimidating part, I think, about Web3 is this risk profile, Mm -hmm. once again. So if you're going to jump in, Maybe you don't, and you don't know how to use a wallet. Maybe the first step isn't buying an NFT. Maybe the first step is buying, is talking to someone who has an NFT yeah. and asking them about their experience of how they did it. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you get a lot of terrible advice, particularly from people who are privileged enough to use capital, and that's how they learned mm-hmm. of like, oh, you just have to, you just have to lose like a couple ETH, and then you'll figure it out. Lots of people don't have no, a couple thanks. ETH. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And, and a lot of it, you know, like not everyone can has the privilege of learning by doing yeah. in that capacity. Totally. And so I think what you what you need to do is one research how you want to be involved, what the ecosystem looks like Two, research how to make yourself safe. Mm-hmm. And there are lots and lots of resources of how to make yourself safe with setting up a wallet, um, 
vetting a team, Mm -hmm. if you're going to be like investing in an NFT project, um, how to use Discord and why you should have your DMs off, all of those things, like learn the cybersecurity measures before you get into it and then go play Mm -hmm. in a playground that feel in a sandbox that feels safer, Mm -hmm. that you can make mistakes in that aren't going to be catastrophic. And there are ways to, right, there are just ways to safeguard against that catastrophe um, while you're learning. Absolutely. That's great. Well, thank you so much for sharing all that. I'm sure that that will be uh, very useful to a lot of uh, folks listening in on this. So thank you so much for sharing all that you've shared uh, today. And I know I've learned a lot and I'm sure that others listening in have learned uh, a ton as well. And you've, and you've given some amazing advice for those that are looking to uh, break into the space as well. And so I know that there are a lot of listeners that will resonate with a lot of what you said um, and are looking to maybe get involved with ChangeDAO and join this Web3 movement. Um, and also, or also just looking to, you know, reach out because they resonate with your story and want to, um, you know, and I know that you're a very approachable person as well. So what are the best ways for folks to, you know, maybe reach out or get involved with ChangeDAO? Yeah. So uh, that's a great question. Uh, we always love to build our community and expand our community um, in various different ways, right? Mm-hmm. It, whether it's just hey, I, I don't know anything about Web3 and I want to learn about what you're doing mm-hmm. or um, I am building a product in Web3 that I want to integrate with your platform. Let's talk about that, right? Mm-hmm. So top to bottom, lots of ways to get involved and we're open to all of those conversations at this mm-hmm. point, particularly at this stage of development. Um, we have a uh, we have a website, we have a newsletter that you can sign up for, we have a Twitter, we have an Instagram. Mm-hmm. So if you want to know what we're doing and what we're thinking about, those are the best ways to follow what ChangeDAO in particular is doing. Um, if you want to experience our platform, um, if you want to better understand how our smart contracts work, go mint, share your light. We have a zero, we have a no cost NFT that you can go mint right now. Um, it'll walk you through the process. You can pay in DAI, USDC, or Ethereum, um, and you can better understand how our model works and maybe get involved if, if that interests you as well. Yeah. And as far as reaching out to me, I mean, operations that changed out through our, uh, also through our um, member form link that we have on our website, the kind of like, if you have a question, ask us. Mm-hmm. Um, I read those, so <laughs> so please send them through, um, and we will get back to you as it makes sense and and when we need. Um, we also have, you know, I have a LinkedIn, I have a Twitter. Our team members have LinkedIn's, our team members have Twitters. Um, while I can't promise that I will get back to every DM, um, if you want to follow what I'm doing or if you want to follow what David All is doing, uh, you can always follow us there as well. Awesome. That's great. Well, I'll make sure that's all in the show notes, of course, so folks can follow along and, and follow you. So again, thank you so much for everything you shared. It was an absolute pleasure hearing your story and learning from you today. So I appreciate you being here. Thanks so much for joining today. And a big thank you to Kelsey for sharing her story. This podcast is brought to you by ChangeDAO and is produced by me, your host, Drew Simon, founder of Crypto Altruism. Thank you to David All for his production support and to Soul Monster for the beautiful graphics design for the podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and write a fair review for our podcast. Make sure to visit ChangeDAO.org to follow along and check us out on Twitter at ChangeDAO. For those listening in, I hope you'll join us for our next episode where we welcome another extraordinary changemaker and continue this movement of change one story at a time.